Good times. Good to see everybody. How are we? Good. This is uh, a great time of year, obviously, and expecting and really excited about the week ahead. Uh, Advent 4, here we are, this kind of final Sunday of anticipation. And we're, you know, hopefully you notice around here, Christmas uh, culturally is just something that, boom, here, whoop, there it is, right? Um, presents, gifts, blah, blah, blah. The church lives countercultural to that. This is the beauty of a season of Advent, is it's not like, boom, here it is. No, 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 no. We, uh, in a sense, we ascend the mountain towards Christmas. And then when we get to Christmas, I know this is kind of foreign to us, Christmas is actually in the church calendar, it's 12 days of celebration into Epiphany. And so this is not something that sneaks up on us out of nowhere. We are in the rhythm. I know we had like parties last week was so great, like our Christmas party together and the week before being in communities and celebrating together. It was just, it's been a great few weeks, but this is not a surprise. This is out of, not just kind of out of nowhere. This is right uh, among us. And so that's the beauty of where we're at right now in all that's happening in our church community. We are moving towards something. With that said, we're doing something a little unique this uh, this Christmas, instead of having a Christmas Eve gathering, because we know we're still in like the ebb and flow of a lot of people traveling, is we're doing this Friday night in this building, not in this room, but in the glass room, we're going to do an hour liturgy for Christmas Eve Eve. So Friday the 23rd, we're going to be in the room over there, we're going to have music, uh, a kid's story, um, we're going to just have some reflection, it won't be long, there'll be some refreshments there as per usual, and it's just going to be a great time. So I know with the, the season, there's lots going on. I really hope that you can help us and join in with us on that Friday evening. It's going to be a great time together, and we're really trying to grow in, though we don't have a building, trying to grow into a church that has rhythms. And sometimes that's laying down things for the greater good of our own community. Um, you know what I'm saying? We're really trying to grow into what it means to kind of be an established church. Does that make sense? Make sense? And so there's sometimes there's just things, you know, that can really help us as we gather together. So I really think Friday is going to be beautiful. We've tried to do it uh, a little earlier than Christmas Eve just to give ourselves opportunity if you need to travel on Christmas Eve. We'll just see how it goes. But this, that'll be uh, really the center point of uh, lighting the Jesus candle, joining in, and celebrating as the Jesus community, the hope of King Jesus. Make sense? All right. With that, why don't you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'll move quickly as well to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read the story. Remember, we're story form people, uh, dudes, pe pastor people on stage with mics. Wonderful. Great. I love that. Um, but there's something about the reality of the story and just reading it over us and re-engaging. Um, I feel the tension at times when I get up, especially at Christmas and Easter and some of these rhythms. I feel the tension of what am I going to say, right? What really am I going to say? Now, some of you are thinking, dude, you're a pastor, dude. <laughs> you better have something to say. Um, the tension is that I feel is that we run into this rhythm over and over and over. And part of it than just like really cute words, the thing that really needs to lead us is the story, is the narrative that's been passed from years. And so you know this, it's easy to kind of go on autopilot here, you've heard this, but that's the point. You with me? Verse 1, 
Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. There's a baby name if you need it, Quirinius. All right, there you go. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went to register there with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. The great A.W. Tozer, a pastor, a theologian, said this several years ago. He said, what comes into our minds, and uh, sorry, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A picture for us that what we think and what we embody about God is the most important thing about us. So the question kind of needs to be posed once in a while. What comes to your mind? Right? Is it the old man in the sky? I kind of cringe at this. Again, I was around somebody this week who referred to God as kind of the, the man upstairs shudder, you know, as a Jesus follower, somebody who's in the way of Jesus, who understands the love of God. I understand when people don't have that framework, but, right, the old man upstairs, the guy with the gray beard. Uh, For some in our culture, and this is even for some in uh, some Christians, is it a wrathful God wanting blood or revenge? Is it a being that's just kind of distant or not involved with humanity? What we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what Advent does, Advent 4 does, Advent week 4 does, it brings us around the love of God again and reminds us 
that to reframe and restructure our mind around the love of God is the way in which, which we move towards Christmas. It's a way in which we embody as Jesus followers the truth that God, above anything, is love. That's why I got you to turn to 1 John 4. Listen to, listen to John. Now, this is, we're not sure exactly who this is. Is this Elder John? Some of you may not know uh, some of the early writings. There's maybe a lack of clarity on some of the writings of uh, the New Testament and who exactly it was. But the point is this. The framework we know is that whether it's Elder John or whoever, there's a group of people that have broken away in the first century from the house churches that are happening around the ancient Mediterranean. And some of them are not now, they've kind of fallen into this way where they don't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God. And so imagine what this does for the church, right? The division, stirring up all sorts of hostility to those who were actually staying faithful. There were actually factions of people who were coming against those who were kind of, who were kind of remaining orthodox in this view. And so... 1 John is really more like a sermon. It's like a poetic sermon. This is not new information to the people that would read this, and it's not new information to us. Listen to what John says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. John goes on, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This, you catching it? The love stuff, right? This is how we know that we live in him and he in us, that he gave, his spirit, gave us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You catching it? I think John's onto something. You know, if you were to write something really, like what, trying really wax poetically, you're probably not using the same word over and over and over. But John's point is one thing: God is love. Jesus is our definition of love in a culture that has all sorts of ideas about what love is. Jesus is actually the embodiment and the definition of what we see as love. And I love just how this writing came into a time of hostility kind of within the church and division. And here we are, you know, thousands of years later and everything has just totally changed. Right? Really? Think about the last few years and just political ideologies. God is love. This is what we hold on to. Left and right politics. God, for us, God is love. What a, to vaccinate or to not, right? God is love. 
to do this, to do that. God is love. This is above anything else, even in the midst of a world that's divisive. This is what we hold on to. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. There's four things here in this text, and then we're going to come to the tables as a reminder, because it can't just be words from the front. It has to be this full embodied experience as we move to the tables in a few minutes to remember and remind ourselves of God's love. And this is not rocket science, you know. It'd be great just like for this to be incredibly mind-blowing, but you probably know this. One, what's John saying? Love comes from God. The definition of love comes from God. The picture that we get of agape, which is the deepest form of love, is that love comes from God. A creator being who puts into motion the world. Obviously, we uh, at times in this own, our own community are very much caught up in this beautiful story, but we need to kind of be reminded, even in the rhythm of the uh, Hebrew creation account, God is love. This picture in the garden of man walking, man and woman walking in the cool of the day. God is love. Love comes from him. It is the definition through him. Two, God defines love through what? Did you hear what John was saying? God defines love through action. So it's not like out there for us. It's not something that's not tangible. It's not like this weird like, you know, trying to grasp what love is or trying to understand it. God actually defines through the scriptures in leading these early churches, and now we pick it up a couple thousand years later, that God defines love through action. Listen again, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, we just read it in Luke, into the world that, he might, that we might live through him. This is love, not that, God, that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Guys, those of you that grew up in the 90s, DC Talk had it right. Love is a verb. Anybody with me? Love is a verb. I know. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, weren't that born quite yet, and you're like, what? It's on Spotify. We sh- can we fire that up, Manny? No, I'm just joking. You don't have to get out of your seat. <laughs> Love is a verb. Have you heard, you know DC Talk? Where's Heather? Is she in kids? We- oh, there you are. We just changed lives. DC Talk. Love is a verb. The reality is, and you know this, uh, even as a practice-based community, that God defines love through action. That it's not just something we kind of hurl from a distance, but it's actually seen in our action. Um, And this is the tension a little bit, because through the Protestant Reformation, when there needed to be some refining, and for good, for obviously this was good, the Catholic Church Uh, back in the day was obviously selling indulgences. There was all sorts of things kind of happening in the Catholic Church where there needed to be a Reformation, for sure. But with the Reformation came kind of a framework where it was all about what God did and nothing that we could do, right? There was kind of this framework around faith that, you know, you're saved by faith through grace, saved by grace through faith. And the picture is you don't really have to do a whole lot. And then you start to read the Bible and you realize everything actually is defined by our response. Not, again, as a a ladder to climb to kind of get to God, but as a response from God. And it's the same thing with love. Over and over we get the picture of love, the way it's defined is by looking at what Jesus did. Not just as a being, as a person, fully God and fully human, as this, this, this thing to the side, but as actually an example of how he lived his life. 
You want to know what love is? Look to Jesus. So love comes from God. The very nature of God is love. But God defines love through his action for us. And the call is very much the same for us. You can say you love something or somebody, but we know, right? It comes through our embodiment of that. I can go around and say I love Heather all, all day long, but what you notice is, hopefully you notice a little bit, and I'm far from perfect, in the rhythm, in the temperature, in the hum of our relationship, that love is defined through action. Love comes from God. God defines love through action. Three, every act that God does is out of love. Everything he does. And so we read pictures and stories throughout the scriptures where there's some bizarre things that happen. And honestly, as I come around some of these things, there's some things that at times, especially in the Old Testament, are hard to wrap your mind around. But one of the things that the New Testament writers especially would push us to is that every act is God's love. Going to a cross is God's love. Sometimes discipline, and some of you that are parents, you know this, that discipline, as hard as it is, is, I'm just laughing because I'm just thinking of my last week, right? I'm actually thinking of this morning as a parent, right? That discipline that's enacted, as bizarre sometimes as it comes off, and as imperfect in our own setting and situations as it is, every act that God does is out of, out of his love. And so when that's discipline, when that's correction, when that's leading and guiding us, when that's sometimes leaving us to our own will, right? Every act from him is out of his love. So love comes from God. God defines love through action. Every act God, that God does is out of love. And then we're not off the hook, right? So we light the candle. We come around the love of God. We are these embodied people that say, yes, this is all about, the, in divided times, this is all about the love of God. But we are to be like God and to love each other. Fascinating how when you read through the New Testament, and I'm not against like apology ministries and like trying to like convince people to follow the way of Jesus. I'm, I'm not against that. But it's just fascinating the more you read that the expectation of the church is that our action towards each other in community is the apologetic. How we live in community and how we love each other is the thing that shows the world who God is. And John picks it up here over and over that this is how love is made complete among us, that Jesus came into the world and that as we embody, we love one another to show the world what love is. Following me? It's defined through God and his work and his power. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. How beautiful is that? As a community, as we turn towards Jesus as King, God lives within us, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us, embodied in us. And so I know, just like John, we've used the word love about a bazillion times here, but it's a reminder. I was thinking this morning, as we were setting up and kind of wrestling through this in my mind and heart this week, um, this is why I'm a Jesus follower right here. I actually believe in the beauty and the hope at Christmas that this is the way. I've seen some gnarly things in the church, right? I've seen some gnarly things along the way. I'm sure you have too. I've been let down, 
I've let others down. I've seen in my own story heartbreak and pain and suffering. And yet coming around this idea of God's love is a continual reminder that I want in on that. I can't define love without understanding who God is because it comes from him. It's his definition. Every act that he does is out of love. And ultimately, I do believe at Christmas, more than any other time, we could be a community that loves one another and that that could be the countercultural way to show the world who Jesus is. Certainly words matter, obviously, but I wonder sometimes if we want to try and outsource and kind of like export getting people to God when in reality God turns it in on us and calls us to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. So brothers and sisters, God is love. And I know the tension is, wait, isn't there more? Like, come on. No, God, God is love. And as we, in a minute, get up and we walk down, feels like a wedding aisle this morning, and we take the bread and the cup, it's a reminder to our senses, to our taste buds. Um, And I know it's like juice and crackers, but to the things we taste in our, deep down in our taste buds, it's a reminder that God's love doesn't just permeate our minds, it permeates our entire being, our, our senses, every sense that we have. And so as we come to the table and we open up our lives and we sing this morning about God's love and we press in, the hope this morning is that the inner work that God would do within us would be a reminder to us of what he's done for us so that we could then go and do for others what he's done for us. Are you with me? We become, we embody the community of love. And so a reminder again at Advent that as we light the candle, as we come around this, God is love. This is how we know what love is. Let's stand. Let's stand together. The team's going to come.